This is a Federal News Network podcast. A new funding program from the Advanced Research Projects Agency Energy, ARPA-E, aims to reduce fuel consumption by conventional cars by automation of much of what drivers do. Four academic teams have received $18 million in the Next Car program. Here with more, ARPA-E Program Director, Dr. Marina Sophos. Dr. Sophos, good to have you on. Nice to be on. Tell us about this program. This is a multi-stage, I guess, competition type of round, and you are in round two. Tell us about the program and where it stands at this point. Yes. So the original Next Car program, which was founded in 2016, was focused on the premise of how could we leverage sensing along with the automated features of driver assistance systems and communications available through connectivity on board our high-end vehicles today. How could we you know, use these types of features and leverage them to optimize the vehicle dynamics? This is things like acceleration, braking, and steering, along with powertrain control for energy efficiency purposes. So the premise of phase one was, can we utilize these types of features that we have on on vehicles today and gain additional energy savings with a goal of 20% in savings? We looked at three types of vehicles, passenger, light-duty cars, buses, and trucks. And now we're running a second round, as you mentioned, for Next Car, where we're focusing in on the light-duty passenger vehicles. And over the next three years, a subset of teams will be specifically looking at the next level of connectivity and automation coming down the pike. So it's more uh, looking into the future. And specifically, how could we leverage higher levels of sensing and connectivity that are being explored? These are the potential self-driving features that only rely on optional human override and utilize them to go up to a 30% savings. It sounds like the theory is that with all of these automated controls that cars are capable of, or at least some cars, then you could eliminate the heavy lead foot and slamming on the brakes a lot, boiled down to the essentials. Uh Yes, exactly. We already know that the human can introduce a lot of variability to the overall energy consumption based on driver habits. And in addition to using these types of automated features, how can we also leverage the vast amount of information that we're getting about the surrounding environment, not just the vehicle itself, but other vehicles near it, road conditions, and use those as well, kind of thinking about preview and and look ahead information further out such that our vehicle can adjust its driving accordingly. So you have four academic institutions examining ways to take all the fun out of driving, essentially. And who are they and what will they be doing over the next few years with this money? Right. So we have three of the four teams are universities, which include Michigan Tech University, University of California, Berkeley, and The Ohio State University. The fourth is being led by the nonprofit Southwest Research Institute. And each of these teams are partnered with automotive companies as well, including tier one suppliers and OEMs. And so each of them are going to be porting over the technologies they developed in in phase one, algorithms that optimize vehicle maneuvers based on um, the features that we described, and evaluating them with higher levels of of automation on prototype vehicles, and also looking for for new ways to test and, and get additional energy savings. 
We're speaking with Dr. Marina Sofo. She's director of the Next Car program at the Advanced Research Projects Agency Energy. So, in other words, these cars have certain capabilities they can do now you can buy. But what these teams are looking at with your funding is to try to augment those capabilities with new software and new algorithms. Is that a good way to describe it? Yes. One of the bases of, of Next Car is very limited hardware intervention. As I said, in phase one, we focused on the uh, existing features on high-end vehicles today. In phase two, we're looking at the self-driving features that uh, are not on vehicles that you can purchase today, but on the ones that OEMs are developing, have under development for, for the future. And will one of the four teams come up with an ultimate answer that you will choose in some manner? Well, all four teams are looking at a a variety of maneuvers, and what we learned from phase one and hope to learn from phase two as well are what are the different types of maneuvers that can help contribute to a 30% savings, both individually and in combination with other maneuvers, and what types of savings are available across a variety of vehicles. So we just took a a vehicle agnostic approach in phase one, and we're taking the same in phase two. Our teams are testing a variety of gas-powered, hybrid, electric, and electric vehicles. So we're really wanting to explore the space in a way that can provide the type of information that the automotive industry could use in the in the future to drive additional savings. This is a, a sector where every percentage point count in efficiency. And phase one was very successful in showing that we could get up to 20% going beyond the existing strategies that we have in our arsenal being hybridization, electrification, and light weighting. So we're adding an additional vector here. And the type of information about these various maneuvers that the OEMs could explore in the future. Yeah, you've answered my next question. This is not just gasoline cars, but electric cars, I guess, even though they have to be recharged and don't use gas, you can get a lot more out of the battery charge if you control them better than if you just stomp on them like a jackrabbit. Exactly. You can extend your range, which is great. And it also provides additional information to the driver to reduce their anxiety by knowing that if they take one particular route over the other, they could drive additional savings and and get additional range. And, And knowing how much that range actually is, is tremendously valuable. And what happens to the intellectual property that comes out of these uh, research programs? Is it proprietary with the manufacturers a given academic team is working with? Is it open source or is it some combination? It's really a combination uh, uh, depending on what is being developed by the team and their existing and future partnerships. But beyond what's developed in a proprietary nature, the really important thing to note here is it opens up the space for whether it's innovators and engineers in academic institutions uh, along with OEMs to develop algorithms with this type of a, a focus and goal in mind, that is improving the efficiency of the vehicle through the information that's being obtained by connectivity and automation. Sure. So you're almost setting a baseline technology, and then the industry will be free to develop it on its own ways beyond that, but at least we'll get to more efficient vehicles across the board, sounds like. Yes. Dr. Marina Sofos is director of the Next Car program at the Advanced Research Projects Agency Energy. Great to have you on. Thank you. Great to be on. By the way, are you gas, electric, or hybrid? 
So I, I currently have uh, a gas-powered vehicle, but um, I'm, I'm counting down to uh, purchasing an electric vehicle. All right, well stated. We'll post this interview together with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over two million employees, Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, 
it's it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, led This is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 